So for example, like I think my biggest thing that helped me back was um, a desire for freedom and for being able to do what I wanted to do when I wanted to do it. And I, I don't know if hate is a strong, is a too strong word, but I very much disliked structure <laughs> and anything that was making me look at things in a more coordinated, structured way. I hated it. I'd run away from it. So I think that was definitely something that I had to come to terms with. I think over, over time, there was something around embracing structure to be more free. Like, I think that was the thing. Like, for example, when I was one or two members of staff, and if I get sick, half the company stops. When I need to do something else, a whole piece of work all of a sudden stops. So the freedom to, to, to put structures in place and to um, work with other people um, is definitely amplified if you can sort out how to deal with yourself in a better way. Welcome to the Happy Entrepreneur Podcast. This is a podcast for people who look at business differently. It's for founders, freelancers, change makers, and freedom seekers who want to make money, do good, and be happy. We choose the path of the happy entrepreneur not to get rich, but to express ourselves and serve others in the most authentic way we can. Many of us couldn't find our role by working for others, and so we chose to work for ourselves. We took the more uncertain path, not because we wanted to, but because we needed to. We value learning, play, and friendship, and we have a need to make a meaningful impact in the world. By following the path of the happy entrepreneur, we learn as much about ourselves as we do about business. On this podcast, I have conversations with other happy entrepreneurs from different walks of life, industries, and countries. We talk about the journey and about what we learned about ourselves along the way. For us, entrepreneurship isn't just a way to make money, but a journey of self-discovery and growth. If you're on the same path and are looking for inspiration and connection, then this podcast is for you. I've learned from talking to coaches and business owners, and also reflecting on my own journey of building the Happy Startup School, that the biggest obstacle to growing a business is the founder. Our beliefs and our values, without proper examination, can stop us from making the best decisions for our businesses. In this conversation with Dirk Bischoff, I learn about his own, how his passion for stories and his drive to understand himself have helped him grow as an entrepreneur. In particular, I found fascinating the tension between his need for freedom and his need to create more impact. In order to grow his impact, he needed to grow his team. But in order to work as an effective team, he needed to create structure. But Dirk hated structure. He'd always run away from it. Sticking with that belief would have limited his ability to create more impact. However, he discovered that structure can also create freedom. Through self-reflection and questioning, we can discover the beliefs that are getting in our way. By learning to accept and reframe them, we then avoid creating inner conflict that stops us from making the impact we want. For many entrepreneurs, the idea of looking inwards sounds self-indulgent and a potentially a waste of time. However, when things get really tough and you need to make some big decisions, knowing more about yourself will help you overcome those challenges more effortlessly. Enjoy this episode. So I am Dirk Bischoff and I run Hatch Enterprise. 
and I am also a dad and I also like cycling a lot <laughs> um, and again it's it's a it's a whole kind of thing um, but like on the, on the business side of things Hatch Enterprise uh, is a passion project for me um, to give opportunities to entrepreneurs who want to start their business and they might come to us with an idea and we help them to understand their idea a little bit better and how to run a series of experiments to understand if it's a project, a side hustle, maybe something part-time or maybe a business. And then we help entrepreneurs to go from, I've started, I've got some customers, I wanna kind of understand how to serve my customers better and grow the business. And then some people who've maybe been at this um, already for let's say three to five years, and they are ready to really um, grow their business if they really want to and how to help them with that. And that's kind of been a, in many ways, a 15 year journey, but really officially a seven year journey. Wow. Well, let's well, maybe give us a little potted history then into that 15 year journey. How did you find yourself working with entrepreneurs trying to help them essentially build their businesses? So I think kind of the, my earliest exposure to entrepreneurship, as you can maybe tell from my accent, I'm not English. Um, I um, come from, from Germany, from East Germany. And the thing was like when the two Germanys were brought together for the fall of the German, of the Berlin Wall, what happened was that in the area where I came from, extremely rural, um, a lot of people lost their jobs. We had like 50% unemployment. 80% amongst young people, companies like the state providers where assets stripped, sold. And it was a really dire situation. And I, I had my father and he's like, well, I'm already unemployed now. Um, I might as well just do something. So he started a metal engineering business with um, the tools and machinery and um, six members of staff from his previous employer. And that's where he started his metal engineering business. I was like 12 at the time. And I basically, um, my first job was cleaning machinery, sweeping <laughs> the floors. And I was like, over, over, the, over the month, I was like, huh, there's the boss chair over there. Here's me cleaning machinery. <laughs> I think I like the boss chair better. But it was, um, I then did a metal engineering apprenticeship. Um, and over the three and a half years, I absolutely came to hate metal engineering. <laughs> with a passion so um, I ran away from Germany and came to England and in England I've met my first social entrepreneur which was Danny and Danny ran a, um, an organization called Cricklewood Homeless Concern and I worked with Danny as his PA his kind of chief secretary chief tea maker I did everything whatever needed doing helping you know essentially make tea for homeless people do some spreadsheets help with diaries as like huh so here's an entrepreneur who does something good in the world. He runs a business with 20 staff members, a million turnover. He helps loads of um, people in need to get access to healthcare, to jobs, to housing. I want to be a social entrepreneur. And that was around 2001. And then with two, in 2004, I set up or co-founded my first um, social enterprise with another co-founder. And we wanted to give more opportunities to younger adults who were like me, um, maybe stuck with some of the choices they, they were making or had, had been making for various reasons and to do uh, a work they might not really like. So we facilitated uh, work placements across Europe for 
over a thousand young adults over the 10 years I was with that company to um, take people out of their normal environment, bring them to the UK or send Brits um, to France, to Germany, to Italy, to Slovakia, all kinds of places, to Turkey, to have a work experience over there and also to take them out of their life here and live somewhere else and understand, you know, open their, their minds a little bit. And from working with young adults, kind of 18 to 30, for these 10 years, I met lots of young people who wanted to start their own business because they didn't like school very much. They had a passion project. They had a, you know, they wanted to bring a new service to the world. And I kept on repeating how I started my first business and then how to help, uh, how to start um, two other businesses in, in the process. But then I, I repeated myself, or I repeated the things time and time again, which felt like, there's got to be a better way of teaching entrepreneurs how to do this startup thing in a more, in, in, in a group way. And then we came across accelerators and incubators back when they were not as fashionable as they are now, back in 2009, 2010, because lots of high growth, high tech businesses like um, Y Combinator and Techstars had already started doing stuff. So I was like, what if we hijack this, ultra commercial model of venture capital and enterprise incubation and acceleration. And we hijack it and make it relevant to young adults in Brixton, in London, and help groups of young adults like 10 to 12 on how to start the businesses that they are really passionate about. And that passion project within my old company then became the model and the pilot for what we're now doing at Hutch with diverse founders and female founders and impact entrepreneurs. Wow. And that's basically it. Excellent. And it's all because you wanted to be in the boss chair. <laughs> I always felt like I wanted to realize my creativity through enterprise. Yeah. But I think the big passion was like providing, like, because I always felt extremely grateful for that organization, that charity that took me from Germany to London. Mm. I was like, oh my God, I've got such an opportunity now. I, I would have never had this opportunity if it wasn't for them. Yeah. So my passion then, my passion then was, what other what opportunities can I give back to mm. the community? And you know, this this was the first organization that I started. It was working with young people. We did environmental projects. We helped establish the first seven renewable energy training centers in the UK to help people um, like plumbers and electricians to um, install solar panels and heat pumps and so on. So we're also like, what can we do to make things better? And mm. That, that innate sense of I got helped. What can I do to help somebody else? And I think I love that contrast of you sweeping in your dad's yep. place and saying, I want to be over there. Yeah. And then having that experience of actually the help that you've got and seeing people, seeing someone in that chair, but not just being in the, that chair as a leader, being in that chair, helping people become leaders themselves. What, yeah. Where I phrase it. And then how you marry these two worlds. I felt there's, there was this need. I, I don't want to be sweeping the, the, the floor, but at the same time, I want to be helping people. So like, yeah. it's not just me on the ground. It's like, how can I create something? And you talk about this. How, you've been doing it again and again, trying to help. But then how can you do this at a bigger, broader scale? And so it seems like now that well, 15 years of this journey and all of that experience and knowledge, You've, you've learned something, I would say, a bit about business. But I understand you've also learned a bit about yourself in the process. Yeah, and the two definitely go together. 
I think um, learning about business, you know, you can think about it quite mechanically. You know, you do a series of, of, of steps. You take a series of steps. You do, you take part in a series of events from company formation to employing to fundraising to selling and so on. But there's a much deeper journey within ourselves that essentially is even more important than the, the business journey. Because if you don't develop yourself and work on yourself, um, it's very easy to become disenfranchised from the business if you don't have a personal connection to it. And do you have a specific experience? Well, you know, was there a point where you became more aware of this, or was it all the time you were? You, this was something that was clear to you that you needed to follow these two types of journeys. I think when I, I think one of the the key insights was when I was stuck in my metal engineering apprenticeship back in, in Germany, in a village which had less than a thousand people. Um, I was extremely bored. I had a lot of time in my hands. There was nothing to do in the afternoon. And I started, re I started reading a lot back then. And I came across Carl Gustav Jung, who is a Swiss psychologist and who opposed Freud in many ways and saying that um, the psyche isn't just this one thing. There's so many more things going going on behind the scenes, and he um, talked about you know the shadow aspect of ourselves, like the things that we try to push away that we do, that we don't want to look at. Maybe you know it doesn't have to be necessarily something negative. It can just be something that we are uncomfortable with. But then um, I became really fascinated by Jung and Jung's theories, and essentially also in dreams. So probably from age 18, I started writing down my dreams. So I have like a whole stack of notebooks now from the last 20 years, essentially, wow. um, with my dreams. And then on the flip side in the evening, I would go through and look at the symbols and look at the dream itself and see what it's telling me, because it's, it's giving you an insight into your mind, into your inner workings that you normally don't have access to. And this engagement with, and obviously your, your dreams are often brutally honest, they tell you stuff you don't want to see. They tell you stuff you don't want to listen to or hear. So it's like being able to engage with the stuff that you might push away otherwise always really help to like, what else am I pushing away in my normal life? Or what are the things that I'm not looking at in my normal life? If already in my inner life, these things are being shown to me. So and that then kind of really led me to, to, to also journal um, when it comes to, to business and enterprise. So I have two diaries. One is like my, my, my dream diary and one is like my work diary, um, but more from a co conceptual point of view. And then I have my day-to-day -day diary basically with just stuff that's happening, like meetings and so on. So this reflection, like these diaries help to reflect. And I think that's quite important as an entrepreneur to constantly keep reflecting. So it sounds like you've, you've had this, need or awareness of this inner world uh for one of the way i see it you know you you had an interest in in young already so something that's already been on your mind or something that's been part of the way you are uh was it was there already at that time you saw this connection between your inner experience and the and the work that you did or has that been something that's you've seen the connections over time I think probably maybe until my my early 30s, I probably saw them as separate. Mm. I think only, I think what brought it much closer to home was going through 
troubled times and difficult times. Like for example, in my previous business, um, after 10 years or nine years, essentially, me and my co-founder, we could no longer agree to disagree uh, because she wanted something to do with personal development and teaching more um, te like teachers and educators. I wanted to do more entrepreneurship stuff. And we essentially had to decide that we had to split the company or she kept the company and I would start again. And this was a very difficult time where I was really kind of challenged personally because it felt like cutting off my arm mm. with the business that you set up like 10 years ago, you gave it, gave it your blood, sweat and tears, weekends, evenings, all the rest of it. And then you're leaving it. Mm. So it was during that time that I saw like what my, what my subconscious, what was producing and how it's, how it's dealing with conflict and with, with negativity and with stress essentially. And then I realized I can't be a good business leader or I can't, I can't lead a business if I don't deal with the stuff that I'm going through personally and emotionally. Mm. And that's where the journaling became more, huh? If I'm experiencing this personally, like if I'm currently stressed as a business leader or owner, am I putting also stress onto other people? Right. And like, I can't be too, I can't be at work and at home. Mm. It's only ever one, right? <laughs> That's wonderful. Yeah, no, there's, I was just thinking that, you know, most people think of, you know, work-life balance and they see work-life and they see life-life and they're, they're totally separate things. And what sprang up for me is like when you were talking about building that business, you said, I'm putting all my energy, my blood, sweat and tears. That is your life. That is yeah. you are putting into that. And so it's when you think about business in that, oh, I'm just – oh, we can just close it. It's fine. It's not a problem. Or I can just leave it without that appreciation of actually all of that emotional energy that went into that and that connection there. Um, that that could probably take people off guard or, or maybe relevant to what was going on with you, make those conversations much harder because yeah. of the emotional content belief that, that hasn't been dealt with. Absolutely. And it's, it's quite important to... Um it's quite important to understand that um, like if we don't look at these things that are going on in the background, they might surprise us in a way that we're not, we're not expecting. Mm. Like if you don't look at the stuff that you're, that you're not looking at actively, like your shadow side or your subconscious things that might, that you keep on pushing back. Eventually, if you, if you keep doing this for a long, long enough time, they will come back and you kind of whack you over the head mm. like in, a, in a big way. Yeah. So dealing with this in a small way, constantly, more regularly, I feel kind of decreases the risk of being shocked by stuff in a big way because you're dealing with small mini shocks consistently over time. Wow, lean consciousness. <laughs> you know, like when there's, absolutely, like, you know, it, that's, the, that's the lean methodology, like running small experiments on yourself and refining things and redesigning stuff and doing it again and again and again. It becomes this, this, this total experiential and experimental setting that you put yourself into. I love that. And I, I mean, particularly for those of, you know, in the startup world where they're really familiar with this, you know, don't just build it and then expect it to work. Test, test assumptions, test assumptions, evolve, iterate. And then applying that and the what I heard there is like, you know, explore, you know, you don't have to have your worldwide epiphany about your purpose and meaning in the world. How do you always question and test and understand yourself and then get a bigger picture over time? 
and that that whole that diagram with the the, the sort of the line going up and then a crash that's what you want to avoid not only in business but personally yeah absolutely so you're having those mini because learning experiences which the the fall isn't as great yeah absolutely that's, that's no thank you that's been a that's like a completely different way of looking at this inner work for me that really connects with the entrepreneurial journey that's fascinating i think one and thing so, that's, that's prompted that just really to kind of like one thing that's prompted it recently again was um reading a book on anti-fragility or anti-fragile from okay. nasim talib mm -hmm. and he has the spectrum from fragile things that break easily with shocks to resilient or robust to anti-fragile things that get better with shocks okay how do we ourselves as people set ourselves up from being fragile to being resilient or mm. that's a big thing yeah and if then you know how can we shock ourselves in a way that we get better over time mm. so when it's, it's it's a weird concept but i really kind of see this also like I can make myself more anti-fragile by maybe fasting once in a while, by going mm. to the sauna, by um, doing sports regularly, like whatever it is that kind of stresses my body, mm. uh, but also like stressing my mind. Like I'm already like, you know, we can get stressed quite easily, but becoming more anti-fragile or more resilient through stress and seeing stress as a good, as a good signaling thing that I'm, I'm learning, I'm growing. And mm. as Dalio, like Ray Dalio said, like pain plus reflection equals progress. Yeah, yeah seeing stress in a different light as a good thing. We're learning, like we're that. progressing. Yeah, no, it's interesting that because, you know, with us at the Happy Startup School, in the word happy, it seems to be very all light and, 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 and just pleasant. But there's this aspect of actually, I like this idea of the anti-fragile. There's a lot of stuff in there that, let's see if we can unpack a little bit. The anti-fragile bit is actually to become a stronger and maybe in this case, happier. It is questioning those little things that, what is it that's not in balance or going into places that feel a little bit uncomfortable. And that, there's a connection here because of course you're a martial artist uh, and you, um, and I thought of how they make swords. Mm -hmm. they, they hit the sword and they, you know, put it in the fire, folded hit it, and fold folded it, and folded. Fold it. And then it becomes stronger and stronger and sharper. And this whole kind of, the, that, that immediate connection sprang to mind. And then that got me into this idea of actually, within martial arts itself, it's a process of conditioning sometimes, isn't it? Of conditioning yourself physically and mentally. So martial arts conditioning, absolutely. Um, it's, a, it's a really important thing to, and again, it's like experiencing stress. You know, the, the, the steel and the sword experiences so much stress that it gets harder and better with heat and pressure, like diamonds. Mm. And so I think the other aspect for that within that, I'm trying to stretch that analogy with the sword, it's a controlled stress. It is yeah. something that you, you know, you're crafting something there. You're actually, you're not just making stress for stress sake. There's an intention behind it. Mm -hmm. That's what I heard from you about this questioning and this journaling. It's, it's a, it's a practice to then, uh, surface at some point a truth that makes you more strong or more anti-fragile mm -hmm. so there's this journey i hear of you of this aware well there's a practice already in place because of passion or an you know interest in that inner inner world there's the journey that you went on as an entrepreneur and and that kind of that need 
A, to be in the boss's chair, then B, to do that in a way that actually helps other people. And, and I see people who've inspired you along the way to follow mm. this journey. Then you talk about this, you know, this point where actually those two parallel interests came together during times of hardship in business and realizing, ah, okay, if I'm going to be able to deal with this at a business level, I also need to deal with this at a personal level. Absolutely. Um, and now I th it sounds like, you know, we were talking before, it, these ideas are now crystallizing and it's something that you want to share with more people. So maybe talk a bit more about that, that process of that journey. The, so the, the book journey, the book journey, is that what you're referring to. Yeah. Like, and again, because I've always been fascinated to try and put concepts, um, around things that are happening and one that I was always very fascinated by was the concept of the hero's journey. Mm. So um, if you're familiar with the hero's journey, you see it in all the kind of all the big movies, whether it's Star Wars or whether it's, um, what's, what's it called? The, the Yellow Brick Road, what's her name? Uh, oh, um, The Wizard of Oz. Um... The Wizard of Oz. You can look at, you know, um, Frozen. You can look at any of the, the big movies. It's the hero's journey from going from the ordinary world being called to adventure, finding a mentor, going through all the trials and tribulations, nearly dying, coming out on the other side with gifts and that you then take into the ordinary world, but you're a changed person in the process. And that we can, we can apply this concept to entrepreneurs in many ways. Like when you're starting out, especially, I think it's quite interesting. Like where on the journey are you? And have you found your mentor or your mentors or your advisors and people helping you with it? And what are the trials and tribulations that you're going through right now? And how do you see yourself um, kind of withstanding them? What are some of the gifts that you get given? So I, I, like one part of the book is about um, the hero's journey as the entrepreneur, but then also what, what the next, the next um, chapter is then on what is nice to see yourself as the hero. What's very critical in your business is to see your customers as the hero. Mm. So how do you make your customer the hero and you position yourself as a mentor or as a guide? Mm. And what role do you play with your customers to either make them more awesome or to help them with some of their challenges or whatever they need, basically. And you positioning yourself as the helping hand, helping guide with your product or your service. Mm. That's interesting. That's yeah, second. interesting way of putting that. I'm just rewinding a little bit. I'm, I'm curious... I think for people who who are interested in writing books or people who, who, mm -hmm. who are fascinated by people who write books, what was the trigger for you to write this book? What is it that, that motivated you to start doing this? Because it takes some work. It's, it's annoyingly uh, intense. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> well, what, because by the time I, th I, I thought about thinking to write a book, I had already co-founded four businesses or founded four businesses and they were all very similar. Like they were all between, I'd say 50 and 500,000 between two and 10 staff members. So it's a very particular type of business. Many of them were social enterprises. One of them wasn't. And I felt like not only that, but then also advising and helping people as a, as a business to start businesses. I felt a lot of the knowledge and some insights that I was learning and, and passing on through our programs, I thought I could condense this in a very 
specific way through storytelling and the, the hero's journey. I thought this is both an exciting project that interests me personally. Um, it's also something that I felt is quite useful or can be quite useful to some to other people. And then putting one and one together, I was like, hmm, I could write a book about this. Nice. And then essentially, um, I put myself onto um, a mentoring program and um, a book writing, like a 30-day book writing challenge. Uh, but none of them really got the book out of me. Hmm. Uh, and this was three years ago. Okay. So if you think about it, it's, it's a long time. It's been a long time. And like when I joined the, my, the last program that I joined in, in September last year, I was like, look, this is my last and final third try. If, it, if it's not happening with this, I'm just going to pause this for the next 10 years or something and just like get on work and things. Cool. And so what, what is it that uh, for people who are thinking about writing books, what, has it, what was the struggle beforehand and what have you found that's working now? So I think the struggle beforehand is number one, being by yourself and writing something by yourself. Um, if you don't have an accountability buddy or accountability um, system or process that keeps you accountable to, to yourself and to the progress you're making on writing, that I felt was a, was a, big, was a big struggle. Then unless you write as a profession and you write professionally, writing a book takes a lot of hard work in terms of you just have to um, psych yourself up to write stuff, number one. Um, the first program that was really helpful, this was a 30-day writing challenge. And every day we had to write 750 words. Every day. So in the morning, I'd go to a Good words? Shop. Doesn't matter. Okay. Doesn't matter. 750 words, you can write about anything, whatever comes into your mind, and you know maybe something emerges from that, from that process. So that got you going around, oh, I need to just output. Because unless you have words written on the paper, you can't edit stuff, you can't critique things, you can't share to any, you can't share with anybody. So that was a really good process to to kind of get get used to writing itself. But then it was, how do you structure a book in a way that makes sense to somebody else reading it? What about chapters? Dissecting other people's books. How do they use research? How do they use interviews? How do they use secondary research for your book? So the last program that I was part of, um, I had um, a, weekly, a weekly call with a group of us um, every Thursday evening. I had a developmental editor that I had along the process who would read my stuff, give me comments on my writing as I went along. And then I had coaching calls with the guy who set this whole scheme up um, every couple of months around book positioning and how it would work and what the value is, and what I could compare it to, some more research. And the totality of that experience of having an accountability buddy, which was my developing editor, mm. um, more knowledge and insights into writing the book itself for the weekly, for the weekly calls. And then me also, I'm a book geek. I read a book a month usually. Ah, yes. All of a sudden I was like, ah, this is how they wrote this. This is how they structure their paragraphs. First sentence is the insight. Then it gets explained. Mm. All of a sudden you understand how books are written. <laughs> Oh, great. Wow. So I, I see this already, this kind of like epiphany, this like relaxation into, all right, now I know how to get all of this stuff out into the world in the way that people will accept and understand. And so these ideas now, you're talking about the hero's journey and, and kind of like overlaying that on the different parts of the experience in a business, whether it's the, the founder or the customer. Um, 
I, how much of that is also part of um, your experience and your story and, and the things that you've learned about yourself? Or is there any of that in there? It's the same. Cool. Like, it's, it's the same. I always felt like, I always felt like, you know, the, the struggles to try. I was always fascinated by stories and storytelling generally. Like, you know, when I was a child, like my father always told us bedtime stories and he would always make them up every day. He made up a new story. It's like, wow. oh my God, like how? <laughs> and then eventually when I, when I was old enough to read stories, I, I consumed, you know, stories from Africa, from Czech Republic, from Ireland, you know, wherever I could find stories, I would read them. So it's, I felt like this ingrained thing of like the hero's journey, it became a thing that I identified with quite a lot. And obviously there's a lot of downsides to seeing yourself as the hero, uh, which is why the book is only partially about that. Um, but if you do identify with yourself as the hero, you come to appreciate that it takes challenge and stress and trials and tribulations and near-death experiences, even if they're near-death business experiences, mm to make you be better and to understand things and to get these insights basically. So I could identify with that. And then also my strong emphasis on being mentored. I always had amazing mentors. I always found amazing mentors. Um, I've probably had like in the last 15 years, I probably had like five to six different mentors who always added something different to my experience as an entrepreneur and as a, as a human being to doing things better or to seeing somebody else and seeing things through their eyes and for their kind of um for how, how they did things that added a lot of value to my life and to my business life as well mm. so awesome. the, the book talks about how do you find a mentor how do you work with them how do you build um, an advisory board around your company if you see yourself as a puzzle piece for example what other puzzle pieces do you need to add around yourself to make a nice picture mm. so that's kind of how i see both um, myself with a mentor, how I see myself with other staff members or people I'm working with, freelance, not freelance, in the team, outside the team. I mm. always see this, I'm just an, an incomplete partial picture of what I'm trying to do. Yeah. What else do I need to do around myself? Who else do I need around myself to make it a nice picture? <laughs> well, I love the idea for the analogy of a puzzle. I, 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 something that I... I hold in my head as well even just within our place when i think of it a broad level our place within this world you know we're finding that shape what's our shape and where can we fit in that feels like natural and the thing that springs to mind around the personal journey sometimes we don't know what shape we are and if we don't know what our strengths weaknesses values all of that is then you it's harder to find out which place you best fit or which place you fit effortlessly rather than forcing yourself into a really bad shape so i'm um, i'm curious on this journey you've discovered things about yourself that have potentially held you back and so for someone listening to this thinking oh well you know okay personal development is great you need to know about yourself but how has that really helped anyone so is there anything that you could share with with the listener about I discovered this about myself and I saw that's what was holding me back at the business level. So for example, like I think my biggest thing that held me back was um, a desire for freedom and for being able to do what I wanted to do when I wanted to do it. <laughs> and I, I don't know if hate is a strong, is a too strong word, but I very much disliked structure. 
and anything that was making me look at things in a more coordinated, structured way. I hated it. I'd run mm -hmm. away from it. So I think that was definitely something that I had to come to terms with. And I think also like if you want to go far, go together. If you want to go fast, go alone. Mm -hmm. I think that over time kind of crystallized. Um, I can only be so good. I can only get so far by myself with my energy I have on a daily basis, with my calendar that I have, with the, the time I have available. If I want to do something bigger and better, I will need to work with other people. And there's a need for working with other people. And to work better with other people, you have to look at yourself. And as you said, like look at, the, look at your, your weaknesses. Where am I good? Where do I add value? What comes naturally? What comes natural to me and what doesn't? And should I force myself to get better at the stuff that doesn't come naturally? And sometimes the answer is yes. But often if I can just hone in on my strength and discover how I can work with other people whose natural strength is something that I'm not very good at, all of a sudden you're already two or three people who are like, oh, we fit together quite nicely. <laughs> Wonderful. And so I, I heard there's this need for freedom but there's this need for impact, which then required a need for connection and, and collaboration. Mm -hmm. How did you manage to satisfy those needs? What, what was that process? Or, are you, you know, is there a way that you can see, you know, the need for freedom, freedom meant structure was bad, but then the need to make impact meant you needed to collaborate or else you'd burn out. And so you needed to bring those two worlds together somehow. Mm -hmm. I think over, over time, there was something around embracing structure to be more free. Mm. Like, I think that was the thing. Like, if I, and also, like, I hated being organized. <laughs> <laughs> like, it's like, like, even now, like, I don't have a to-do list. I do stuff, like, I, I, I know what's important and what has to get done. But having a to-do list would stress me out so much, basically. Yeah? Mm. Um, whenever I did to-do, like I have, I have like collections of things that need doing, and I do them eventually in some way, shape, or form. Um, but already that was a big step. Like writing down the stuff that I had to do on a daily basis was already a big step for me. Yeah? <laughs> <laughs> but then essentially picking things off that list, I see like you know my my coach, for example, at the moment, like he's really into agile and into a backlog and you write all the stuff down that you need to get done and then you prioritize accordingly and put the top items, you know, number one, number two, number three, or like I tried it, it's too much. For example, having a book where I have stuff written down on a weekly basis that needs doing and just flipping back some of the pages like over the last few days, it's like, oh, this I got done, tick it off. This I got done, tick it off. Oh, this, this seems important now. I'll do this one next. So it's more of an intuitive, like, how does my day go? How is my week going? What can I do? What should I be doing? It's more of an iterative process of getting things done uh, without stressing myself too much about it. Mm. But then when it came to working with other people, obviously, um, now we have a team of 11. There's other there's other things that come into, into play where um, transitioning from a chief executive role to a chief enabling role. Mm. So I'm no longer the one who has to do everything, but I need to help others to do the stuff that they're good at. 
And that comes with a structure. So I had to implement one-to-one -one, um, meetings with all our staff members, for example. And I had to do them regularly enough because what I learned was that by having them regularly enough, I will learn so much from them and what's holding them back at the moment and how I can help them with getting better at what they want to be achieving. And that means I need to take myself back a bit more from always having to do stuff to, to helping and to supporting. And that, that's quite a big shift in somebody who's always used to doing things as the entrepreneur. I'm always like, no, I can do this. I got this. <laughs> um, I'm good at this. Let me just do it. To like helping somebody else to, to, to do it or, or to slowly hand over things. You need to change from being the, the doer, from the chief doer to the chief enabler. And again, mm -hmm. that is better with structure because all of a sudden you had to do this with other people and their mm -hmm. diaries. So already there's, a, there's more stresses around diary coordination, say, um, than there used to be before. So um, I'm slowly getting used to this, but it's definitely a journey. That, that, yeah, that definitely is a journey. And, and that need for freedom, has, has that been addressed through being able to delegate and you know, shift into this role of being enabler rather than doer? So in, it, in, in many ways, yes. So for example, when we were two people in the company, we were able to help 20 entrepreneurs a year. Now we are 11 people in our company and we're able to help um, 100 on an in-depth level and another 200 to 250 on a, on a light touch mentoring level, for example. So um, I can see the impact that we're making now being um, a bigger team is multiplied by, by five. So that's already really amazing to see that I can achieve more impact um, through the way that we currently are. But then also it comes with, for example, when I was one or two members of staff, uh, if I get sick, half the company stops. When I need to do something else, a whole piece of work all of a sudden stops. Mm. So the freedom to, to, to put structures in place and to um, work with other people um, is definitely amplified if you can sort out how to deal with yourself in a better way. Mm. And that's uh, it's interesting because uh, the last thing I wanted to talk about um, around dealing with yourself in a better way, yesterday we, we did an event. Um, the, the title was Leadership and Vulnerability. Mm. And so I was wondering, you know, this looking at yourself and looking at the shadow side and, and dealing with that and using that, that's quite a vulnerable experience. And, how, has that helped you become a better leader? And how, if, if it has? Yeah, so for example, in the last couple of weeks, we've implemented something called baseball cards. Okay. And everyone in our, in our team has a baseball card. Uh, their picture, um, either they can choose their Maya Briggs profile or their Enneagram profile. The stuff that they are good at, their weaknesses, and the way that they would like to work, the way that they would like to communicate. And we've taken this whole um, principle of radical, transparent, radical transparency and radical truthfulness, and we're really incorporating this into everything that we do. So for example, I made a mistake um, a, few, a few days ago, um, acting rush on an email and sending a reply at 11.30 in the evening. I shouldn't have done this. So the day after we had a staff meeting and people said like, oh, if I would have gotten that email, I would have been so, so annoyed with you. And I'm like, damn, I made a mistake. 
So um, I then, you know, send, this, send an email around to everybody saying, hey, I'm really sorry, like, you know, I shouldn't have sent this email, um, apologies. Um, this wasn't, you know, this wasn't my, this wasn't a good time for me. And, you know, apologies. And I had a one-to-one -one with the staff member that, that this went to and saying, hey, look, I can only apologize. This wasn't a good thing. Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden, what could have been a conflict festering in the background, we brought it out in the open. My weakness was, you know, it was late in the evening. I was already feeling quite low on energy. And the thing that wouldn't have stressed me at nine in the morning just stressed me in that, in that situation. And being able to say, look, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. This, mm -hmm. you know, this was a moment of weakness um, made a potentially difficult situation for the whole team and for that staff member. Um, in, it, 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 it dissolved it immediately. Mm. So, I but, think also the idea of the... Um... What I heard there is the fact that they can even say that to you, to say actually uh, someone to pick you up and say actually uh, we didn't like the idea of that email coming out. Is that what happened? Did that you everybody say? did. Everyone everybody did. So yeah, and they have that safe space to be able to do that, and that I think when you have that safe space, then you can create vulnerability. And I feel like, but you can only have that safe space if the leader shows that level of vulnerability. And it's important as the leader, and I, and I do feel like a vulnerability is such an undervalued concept. Um, it's always good to share the stuff that we're not good at. If we pretend to be good at everything, um, it's, not a, it's not a good place to start from. If you're saying like, look, you know, generally I struggle with organizing things. I struggle uh, with my diary once or so often. I would love to just have, you know, if you can remind me on, on certain things that, that, that would be helpful to me or whatever your, your weakness is it's quite good to bring it out into the open because only then can you also ask for help and get the help that you need. If, you, if you're never vulnerable and you're always the knight in shining armor being great at everything, then well, guess what? Nobody's going to come and help you because you seem to be too perfect. Yeah, yeah. And then you bring everything on your shoulders and then at some point yeah. it will all come crashing down. That's it. Wow. Well, on that note. On that happy note. <laughs> on that happy note. <laughs> <laughs> don't come crashing down don't you know, come crashing down ask for help do this yeah. journey uh, understand this uh, what i hear from this whole conversation is appreciate the personal journey don't just focus on the, on the material journey no um, and embrace and, the and, challenges yeah oh, cool no i love that thank you very much doug that was really really beautiful conversation i've learned so much from that actually and there's so many ideas popping in my mind that that's brilliant it's been a pleasure, Carlos. And likewise, um, whenever, like when we talked last time, I got so much out of that. Like in the evening, I got really busy writing in my diary. Um, so yeah, thank you again. Thank you for listening to the Happy Entrepreneur podcast. If you like what you heard, please subscribe to us on iTunes, Spotify, and SoundCloud. Also, if you'd like to learn more about being a happy entrepreneur and want to connect with more people like you, then go to our website, thehappystartupschool.com, and subscribe to our newsletter. Amongst many other things about business and life, we'll help you answer the following questions. How can I serve others by being myself? And how can I discover who I really am by serving others?